you're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from Proteum. And this week, I wanted to talk about something a little bit more serious. Uh, As a creative, one of the things I really struggle with a lot is imposter syndrome, which is a fear that you have actually been replaced by a doppelganger of yourself, because that's this week's monster. And this is maybe a joke in poor taste. For real, though, I do struggle with imposter syndrome quite a bit. Uh, Not very funny to end the intro on. You can find the Doppelganger on page 82 of the 5th edition Monster Manual. The Doppelganger might be, like, top three most classic monster tropes. Like, it's not necessarily a super famous monster, but it is up there in terms of the kinds of plots. Like, I feel like almost every campaign at some point does the Doppelganger. In that way, I think it might be one of the most ubiquitous monsters. If you're not familiar, it is a strange sort of like mouthless, wet, gray, alien looking humanoid, primarily known for their ability to shape shift into other humanoids and then impersonate them. I think doppelgangers are interesting because they are almost not a monster so much as they are, again, like a trope or like a tool that the DM can use if they need sort of an imposter or an an infiltration creature, right? The doppelganger is kind of like a cipher for that type of plot. You're not going to use a doppelganger unless you're putting it in that context. So it's a little weird then to talk about its mechanics because it is more of a fictional conceit than it is an actual creature. But in the game, it is a CR3 medium monstrosity with a subtype shape changer. It's got good dexterity, decent con, surprisingly low charisma, only like a 14. I would have assumed their charisma would be their best stat, but I guess it's their dexterity. They have training and deception and insight. They are immune to being charmed, which I didn't know. Uh, they have dark vision, They have, sh- and then they can shape change, right, is their main power, which can, they can turn into either medium or small humanoids, but they do not change their gear or their equipment, so they have to, like, steal whatever sort of costume they would need to help further their disguise. They have a feature called Ambusher that gives them advantage on attack rolls against surprised creatures, as well as a basic sneak attack mechanic that gives them 3d6 on creatures that they have advantage against. In addition, they have two slam attacks. They also have the ability to read the surface thoughts of creatures around them, with the intention being this kind of helps guide their impersonations, right? So a little bit of telepathy on top of that. Yeah, and that's the Doppelganger. Again, a cool monster, one of the classics, excited to dive in. But first, we're going to talk about its history throughout the course of Dungeons & Dragons. The Doppelganger did appear in 1st edition, uh, and in the 1st edition Monster Manual, the art is like 10 times spookier. They've got this kind of silly sort of Mars attack alien thing where the eyes are really big and you can kind of see like the contours of their visible brain. They are described as, quote, able to ESP, because 1st edition used ESP instead of telepathy, and impersonate with 90% accuracy, which I love the idea of just getting out the percentage dice and rolling it and saying, oh, you can tell. Like, that's how you know whether they give away a tell. It's just a percentile roll. Very goofy. It's worth noting that in first edition, they could actually meld clothing and armor, so they did not need to steal it from their victims, which 
I'm glad they got rid of because if you think about it, it's like really crazy powerful. They can just make infinite clothing by melding into it, taking the clothing off and then melding again, you know? In second edition, the art changes a little bit and they have a little bit more of like an elven aspect, like still kind of gray skin. They lose the brain and the spooky eyes and they give them kind of like slightly pointed ears. They feel almost more like a fey creature. There's a lot of ink spilled here about their history and society. This is something I find about second edition is they spend a lot of time on like the ecology of the monster, but it's never any actual like usable lore. It's always just this is how many children that they have. And this is the kind of den that they are likely to make. And this is how they treat their women always poorly. It's never actually good. It's just a bunch of blah that you would never use. There's some talk about them maybe being created by a wizard. They do talk about them being, quote, lazy and like specifically impersonating wealthy people, which like... I mean, I guess if I had that power, I would do that too. Why would you impersonate a peasant? Like, it just doesn't make sense. But then, of course, because they only have 90% accuracy, they're always kind of found out and then rooted out and they have to flee, right? So these kind of like traveling con artists, which is sort of interesting. And some of that lore uh, sticks around in 5th edition as well. 3rd edition really doesn't add much to the doppelganger. They they kind of return to the more alien-esque appearance. So they don't have the strange brain. But otherwise, they're mechanically the same. I did want to make one a mention of uh, a 3rd edition supplement that was pretty influential, and that's Eberron. Eberron comes out in 3rd edition, and one of the kind of primary starting ancestries for Eberron are the changelings. These are humans who have doppelgangers somewhere in their ancestry. So they do have the ability to kind of uh, shape change much like the doppelgangers do. Uh, Keith Baker, the creator of Eberron, did a lot of incredible work on how changeling society would function. They talk about how there are, like, collective roles that everyone just trades around. It's really, really fascinating stuff. I recommend you go check out his Dragon March articles about changelings. There's a lot of cool stuff you could definitely incorporate into the lore of the doppelganger. And then 4th edition, of course, focuses a little bit more on the combat than previous editions. They do change their look up, though, and I kind of prefer the 4th edition look. I think it's a little closer to how changelings look in 3rd edition. They are, like, ghostly white with kind of pupilless eyes and white hair, as opposed to them being these weird kind of Roswell alien-looking dudes. Mechanically, they do focus a lot more on the idea of, like, deception. They have something called the shape-shifting feint. That isn't, like, actually described, but I do love the idea that if, if a doppelganger can kind of meld and change its bone structure and stuff, that couldn't it really, like, throw a weird hook at you that would, it would extend its arm in such a way to make it hard for you to predict where the attack would be coming in? I think playing with that, that, like, they're not quite mimics, but they do have the ability to kind of amorphously change their body. You could do a lot more with that concept, and 4th edition definitely plays with that. They also, uh, the higher-level doppelganger, the doppelganger assassin has a cloud mind power, which is like interesting. It makes the doppelganger invisible to anyone who fails the saving throw. The idea of like conditional invisibility, like if you fail this save, then you can't see me, is really cool. It's not really clear why the doppelganger has it in 4E. Like, I don't hate it. I just feel like it might be a cooler like mind flayer power or something. It's a little too psychic for the doppelganger's just simple telepathy. Which, it's also worth noting, the doppelganger does not have telepathy in 4th edition. Or at least it doesn't seem to have the ability to read thoughts. So what's going on here? Why would you have Cloud Mind and not the other thing? Yeah, and that brings us to 5th edition, which, again, I think is a pretty good summation of the core concept of the doppelganger. And we're going to talk about the things that they do right coming up next. Mm-hmm. 
I know this is a little bit of a cop-out, but I think my favorite thing about the doppelganger is just the concept. Specifically, the humanoid shape-changer inherently implies story. Like, there, you can't just plop it in the middle of a dungeon and say, here's a doppelganger. It only works in the context of, like, a social encounter or a mystery or something like that. And a monster that's, like, freighted with that kind of story is always a win in my book. You know, you know how a mimic encounter is going to go, even just by looking at it. There's a lot of possibilities with it, but you kind of have a sense it's going to pose as some kind of an object. With a chimera or something, you just, I don't know, it's just a monster. It could just descend on you and attack you. A doppelganger has a very particular brief, and I think that's cool and useful as a dungeon master. You know when and why you would use a doppelganger, but also you have almost infinite options when using a doppelganger. Any NPC could potentially be replaced or could secretly be a doppelganger, so this kind of paranoia element really, really ripe for adventure design. I love that. One mechanical thing that I think that 5th edition does well is that they keep the some of the kind of ambusher stuff that 4th edition had. You know, 1st through 3rd edition didn't really grapple with this idea of them as combat monsters, because again, they are kind of implied to be sort of a social threat rather than a combat one. But I think it's cool that they lean into that a little more here in 5th than they did in like 3rd. I would argue you could go a little further, but I still think it's pretty neat, and I, I like to see it here. I think it makes them a little more interesting in combat than they would otherwise be. And lastly, I ultimately think 5th edition is correct in the fact that they can't replicate clothing. I know that's been consistent across a couple of editions, um, but I do think that it makes a lot more sense, and it gives the doppelganger kind of a weakness. I think saying that they have a few weaknesses, they have to use their mind-reading ability to get some surface thoughts, you know, they're only 90% successful, and they can't mimic clothes, means that players who are looking for a doppelganger have a couple of good clues to try to find them. If they were a perfect 100% mimic, you would be pretty tough, right? And so I think working in a small, you know, narrative weakness like that, actually pretty cool. Next up, we're going to talk about the things that 5th edition doesn't do so well in their version of the doppelganger. So my first complaint is that the lore here is a little bit scanty. Like I said, I feel like the doppelganger is such a concept more than it is a monster then when you actually get down to explaining like doppelganger origin or doppelganger society the book kind of just draws a blank like there isn't a lot here there's a couple of stuff they talk about with them sort of being like con artists like we mentioned impersonating rich people and then kind of disappearing into the night when the jig is up and that's fine but it's sort of like why do they do this like what's their society like again i think you could really take a page from keith baker's book and talk about them as communities if you were a doppelganger why would you need to ever not look like a person why wouldn't you just choose i'm a dwarf and this is my name and this is my identity right being a doppelganger would imply that you don't have a strong sense of individual identity it's something the changelings play a lot with in eberron and the doppelganger could do a lot more to incorporate there's also a really weird point they make about how they reproduce where like doppelgangers turn into like handsome bros and then sleep with women, impregnate them and then leave. And then eventually the kids grow up and discover that they're doppelgangers. But wouldn't they be changelings and not doppelgangers because they're kind of like part human? Do, do doppelgangers like, you know, breed true with humans? Like what's the it's an interesting concept, I guess, but it's a little strange. And like, why couldn't a doppelganger turn into a woman and then get impregnated and then bear a child? You know, it's just like there's something weird about they turn into hot dudes. Like, it's just a little, little strange. It's an interesting concept, right? But I, I don't know that they, they quite think it through all the way. 
My second problem is that they are a little boring to run. They do have that kind of ambusher thing, which is neat. I mean, they're great for social encounters, right? But in combat, they're not particularly interesting. I would say if you're going to do the kind of ambusher stuff, you've got to make it a little bit more consistently useful. It's so much about that first hit initially, but all they get is advantage, and then all they get is an extra 3d6 damage on one attack, which is a punch, like a slam. I guess presumably they would ha might have a weapon on them or something if they're in disguise. But once that's done, then they basically are just a guy with two slam attacks and a shape change. You know, they don't have any ability to escape. They don't have any ability to, like, confuse their target. I think you could actually do a lot with the ability to change your face and stuff in combat. But they just aren't interested in exploring that here. I think that's something they could delve into a lot more. So let's make them a little more fun to run in combat. Sort of on the tail of that complaint, then, is the complaint that I think that their CR is way too high. Their CR 3, and, like, they can hit for, like, 2d6 around with two slam attacks, and that's about all they have offensively. Like, I understand that being a difficult monster in the sense that it might be hard to root out, but why are we talking about challenge rating in that context? Any monster could be a high challenge rating if they're well-positioned or, or, you know, not necessarily, or hard to defeat for other reasons, right? I think calling it a CR3 monster the way it currently is is really, really overselling this 3d6 damage it gets one round at the beginning of combat, assuming it surprises someone, which is a bit of a dodge anyway because by the time it's attacking, it's probably been found out. You know what I mean? I just feel like this thing is like a CR1, maybe. M maybe like a CR2 at best. CR3 just seems like a lot it, it's for, for it not really being that effective of a combatant. You know, it's like scarier than an Ankhag. I just don't believe that for a second. So how could we improve the doppelganger? I mean, I think there's a couple of things we've talked about, right? I would say that uh, I love the idea. I think we could make their psychic powers a little bit, not necessarily expanded, but a little bit more useful. Like them having detect thoughts is cool. I would maybe even like, there's a lot of space that's used here for that. I think we could probably just say they have the detect thoughts spell as a spell like ability rather than like this big block in here that's technically a little bit different, right? I would also maybe say that they have like a charm power, like a very subtle, almost friends style charm where they can exert kind of a an influence over people you know, kind of a Jedi mind trick sort of a power where it's not like they're going to dominate you, but they can kind of make you look the other way or forget about something really subtly, you know, not quite modify memory, but some sort of a, you know, smoothing over any accidents or flubs that they might make. I feel like a Jedi mind trick kind of power would work really well for a doppelganger. Again, more of a social thing. For combat, though, I think we could really play with the notion of a of, of that feint. Right? As a bonus action, they can get advantage on successive attacks. Like, Ambusher is fine, but it's just so one use, right? Like, if they have that shapeshifter feint, where they can consistently kind of, like, you know, adjust the length and appearance of their arm to kind of freak you out, right, when they're attacking you, I think that's a much more consistent combat strategy you could play with. I think you could also... This is jumping ahead a little bit, but remember that Chain Devil power from last episode? I really think that's a great doppelganger power, is that they can read your mind, figure out someone that you love or you hate, and they can make themselves briefly look like them, right, or sound like them for a second. Like, that, I think, is really cool. Uh, you could do a lot with, like, they rapidly cycle through a bunch of different forms, you know, like some kind of a, of a, of a like, a guy's roulette, you know, and that kind of throws you off. This is like so much you could do with this is a creature who can instantly take on any appearance. So I think the simplest version of it is just to take that power from the Chain Devil and give it to the Doppelganger, which I, th I think basically gives people disadvantage on attacks or or whatever it is, right? Maybe it's a, a, a wisdom save or something, but something to kind of disorient their foes. I mean, that could be their feint, right? It could be that they go into your mind, find someone you care about, and then make themselves briefly appear like that person to kind of freak you out. 
right? Like, that, I think that trades on the concept of the shapeshifter a lot more, especially if at that point you've already kind of busted your cover, you know, and you're just trying to fight or you're trying to fight for your life or trying to escape. So they all kind of blended together there, but that's sort of the three things I would do. I would say, let's maybe give them a subtle charm, give them the fainting power, and then play with that kind of chain devil appearing as someone you care about thing, right, to kind of freak people out. But yeah, that then concludes our episode on the Doppelganger, a great monster, a classic monster that could just be a little cooler with a little bit of extra elbow grease. If you want to see us redesign the Doppelganger, swing by our YouTube channel on Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST. We'll be doing a monster redesign stream. We'd love to see you there and hear your input. Next week, I believe we are headed back to the Devils. Uh, we are going with our final Devil episode, covering the last four Devils, including the infamous Pit Fiend, should be next episode. So don't miss that one coming out next Sunday. But until then, thank you for listening, and as always, happy adventuring. Okay, oof, they did not figure out your double game. Okay, your secret is safe. All right, another episode next week. No one's ever going to find out. Monster of the Week is a ProDM production. You can follow us on Twitter at ProDMTimothy. If you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Even $1 a month gets you access to the redesigned monsters that we discuss here on the show. You can find us at patreon.com slash ProDM. You can catch those monster redesigned streams Thursdays at 2 p.m. PST on our YouTube channel. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, used under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.